This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Corporate social responsibility has increasingly become an important component for businesses. According to the Governance and Accountability Institute, 86% of the S&P 500 index companies published sustainability or corporate responsibility reports in 2018. In fact, CSR is so important that it has become a business discipline integral to the corporate mission statement. But doing this also requires strategy, analysis, and conviction because it is not a one-size-fits-all. So what are the best practices of CSR to ensure success and make the biggest impact? Toby Usnick is author of The Caring Economy, How to Win with Corporate Social Responsibility. He's also founder of Philanthropic Impact Partners. He joins us on the phone and joining me in studio, Daniel Korshin, who is an associate professor of marketing at Drexel University. He's also author of the book, We Are Market Basket. Toby, great to have you with us today. Thank you, Dan. Nice to join you. Daniel, great to have you with us. Thank you. Great to be here. Just a short walk over from Drexel. So a, hard, a, hard, a hard travel for you yeah. coming over here. Um, we were talking before we went on the air, Daniel, and, and it is really, it feels like the last decade or so, where we have seen varieties of companies understand that this is kind of a component that they need to have in, in within their structure. Yeah, I mean, the idea has been around for, for many decades, I mean, at least till, since the 1800s. Um, and you can find it even farther back than that in the ancient Greeks if you want to go back that far. Uh, but it's really taken hold in the last, I'd say, maybe 20 years um, that it's really right. shown some explosive growth. Uh, and a lot of the reason is just because the general public now uh, is much more aware of who they're buying from. Um, it, they used to be more focused on individual products, and they would say, you know, I want a pair of sneakers. What's the best quality sneaker? Right, and, right. Uh, and that was pretty much the end of it. And now um, consumers... Employees, even investors, um, they're start. They've been asking more and more, uh, who is making that pair of sneakers and what are they all about? Toby, that's absolutely right. And in fact, I use a bullseye in my book, The Caring Economy, to showcase that in the center of the bullseye is the employee population, and then in the outer ring from there is the consumer, and then the outer is all the other stakeholders, including the sort of planet. And I will tell you that this is a consumer-driven evolution or revolution, depending on who you ask. But certainly the shareholders, the employees, and the customers of today and tomorrow are, as Daniel said, more connected, more informed, and making more, I would submit, more responsible decisions with where they spend their money, where they spend their careers, and where they invest. But within that bullseye, do you put, I guess, maybe even more importance on the employees? Because employees obviously are working for the company, Toby, but they are also the consumers of other products. Absolutely. I I say, as others have said to me in my past uh, jobs, that the uh, great brands are built from the inside out. Your Your employees are your ambassadors, as well as, you point out, the consumers of other products. So now... Whereas I was trained traditionally to be a, uh, a brand policeman, actually, in corporate communications at the New York Times, American Express, Christie's, we're now in the era of the brand ambassador, where we need to have dialogues with those consumers, investors, employees. We can no longer be the custodians or the brand police. We need to be the ambassadors. 
Go ahead. Yeah, I think I, I'd agree with that uh, wholeheartedly in my research as well. I mean, the employees are the people who are with that brand for eight or more hours a day, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's um, so they have a lot. Their their identity becomes really wrapped up in what their company is doing, and you know they're going out. Then they leave at night and they go home to their family and they talk about what they encountered at work. Um, so this is it's a much bigger deal in those people's lives than for most consumers. There are exceptions, obviously, if you have like the super fan consumer that sure. they become really wrapped up in the brand. Uh, but in general, uh, I, I would absolutely agree that employees are the ones that um, that become the most attached to, to what companies get involved in when it comes to social responsibility. But there's also the element of the fact that I guess the C-suite, Daniel, now has the understanding that this is an investment that they can make that will have a bottom line benefit for them. Maybe in years past, it might have been thought, well, you know, we're kind of making an outlay here uh, uh, of resources, and we're not going to get anything back, so we really don't want to do that. That mindset's changed. Yeah, yeah, and that's, uh, you know, you say bottom line rather than top line, and that right there is um, is what you're alluding to, I think, is that you've got the employees there. They might work harder, become more productive, right. uh, help reduce costs of the company, and then you've got those top line changes where you have uh, customers become, they, they, they feel closer to the company. They're, they're drawn in, the, you know, they, they're their purchase can uh, become a, a like almost symbolic of something greater. So they're purchasing that pair of sneakers or the umbrella or whatever yeah. it is, and but they're they're saying to themselves, you know, by purchasing this, I'm not just getting the umbrella. I'm gonna I'm I'm contributing to someone else who's not in the typical like me and the company relationship. But there's some third party out there that I'm helping by doing this, and it makes a big difference when people are choosing between like. Brands. Toby, you had m- mentioned in your book uh, a, a triple bottom line. Yep. What, what all is included in that in your mind? Sure. Um, the, the triple bottom line is basically looking at the social and environmental as well as the financial results of a company. And more and more, particularly with the publicly traded companies, you're seeing this regularly being reported upon, measured, audited. Um, going back to the previous question, I would just chime in and say, you know that this is no longer a fringe activity when you have the, Blair, the Larry Finks at BlackRock, $7 trillion asset manager, not once, but in two annual letters to stakeholders saying, we are now expecting you, our stakeholders, to report regularly on what's called environment, social, or governance, ESG, because we have a fiduciary responsibility. So this is no longer fringe, and uh, I think also you look at another business person like Mike Bloomberg, who is an early supporter of something called SASB, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. This is really allowing the huge publicly traded companies to do the apples-to-apples comparisons for their investors, their employees, and uh, larger public. This is really mainstream now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I would, uh, you know, once again, we're, we seem in, in very much in sync here in, in that this social responsibility has become um, not something that is, you know, should I get involved, should I not get involved? It's just become part, you know, if you, the risk is greater to not get involved um, in yeah. any way than, than to get involved. So there, there, it's really just a matter of how you do it. How do you configure it for your company? But uh, as, I, as, as I mentioned at the top, it, we had the statistic 86% of the S&P 500 index published either a sustainability report or a corporate responsibility report. That still leaves 14% that did not. And so it makes you it makes you wonder, Toby, what is it within those particular companies that they have not, I guess the best phrase is they have not bought into this point? Yet. 
but uh, as I write yeah. in the caring economy, it's just a matter of time. The the bad news for those folks is that the upside to doing the right thing, so to speak, or moving to a more responsible, more transparent set of business practices, the upside to that is decreasing because, again, the consumers, the employees, and the investors expect this now of brands. I bet you, using Locust Walk, which I was on the other side of the walk when I was in graduate school at Penn, huh. but nonetheless, if you walk down Locust Walk today and ask a random 10 students, what are their top three concerns when they graduate from Penn? I promise you that sustainability or ESG, environment, uh, CSR, some variation of that is going to be on their top three list. You know, the uh, that, that number uh, compared to numbers that I've seen in the past is actually lower. And um, it's so some, not all of that, like those 14 percent, yeah. those companies are probably almost all of them are involved in some way. It's just that they change the way that they're reporting. And so some of, okay. some of the companies, the way that they're reporting this is uh, it's become a little bit less formal. It's a little bit uh, so it's, it's more dialogues with consumers and, and employees at, at the company and less on these very static uh, reports that many companies find they don't get a lot of readers. Well, and you probably don't have to differentiate them as much as you, as you may have, say, a decade or two decades ago when it was more fresh in in, in the mindset of the yeah. company. And if you're Correct. speaking to consumers, it's not going to be through one of those reports um, in, that, in that statistic. Um, so those reports are more for you know people within the social responsibility industry, for some investors that want to, to uh, rank and, and see how the company's performing over time. You know, like, are they reducing their waste as they said they are? So yeah. it's an important document in many respects, but when it comes to managing relationships with employees, um, speaking with consumers, those reports, I think it's, um, we have to be careful not to put too much attention on that and to really focus on like the psychology, what's going on in the heads of the consumers, because yeah. that's where the action is. Toby, you had mentioned before your, your work, you had worked at Christie's before, mm-hmm. and, and I would think that with a company like Christie's, if you're talking about having a, a push with CSR, that's more the consumer side. Uh, than maybe even even the employee side? Actually, I would say, uh, well, it was privately held. So in a certain sense, Christie's didn't have to do anything if the owner didn't want to, which is the Pinot family out of of France that own Caring Group and all these other great brands where they are publicly traded and do the right thing in terms of CSR. But at Christie's, in fact, we found it equally compelling for our employees first and foremost. They wanted to get out and volunteer and introduce disadvantaged youth to museums and art and culture for the first time in their lives in Hong Kong or London or where have you? But then the environmental piece, this is a heavily um, a high-touch industry, so a lot of air travel. And we were the first and I believe only auction house to carbon offset all of our air travel, which was not insignificant. Um, and we were actually with the green auction, which I piloted or created at Christie's, an environmental auction that we did for three years with four environmental groups. We were able to do the first carbon-neutral auction, which I believe that the consumers, again, of today and tomorrow, when those heirs inherit those collections, this will be a differentiating factor if you can say, by the way, we can sell mom or grandpa's collection and make it carbon neutral as well. How much also, Daniel, do you think, that, and it was just as I was, this was playing out in my mind, the, do generation, is this a generational topic as well? Because the mindset of the baby boomer generation may be one thing. Whereas the millennials and Gen Z and Gen X is, is obviously something a little bit different. Every study that I've seen uh, shows a, a pretty substantial uptick with the, the youngest generation now. So millennials and now this new generation Z that's coming in that I'm seeing in my classrooms now, um, they all care a lot about this. Um, you know, it's, there's some debate and, and there's still skepticism about, you know, how sincere some of it is because there's always this, there's always this real tension uh, whenever companies talk about this and also in the way that 
consumers respond to it about how much of it is real, how much of it is a show. Yeah. Uh, and um, so that, that's really is a lot at the heart of what I study in my research is trying to, to pick apart when this is happening. Because you hear stories all the time. I mean, I hear about students, you know, they're <laughs> applying for college and they, you know, they're looking actively uh, for something socially responsible to get involved in so that they can get into their college, right? right? And to put it on it the application. It adds another, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. there's a, there's a, and usually it's, it's um, there's a, a really sincere element to it that's wonderful and, you know, you want to applaud. And then sometimes there's this more cynical uh, element as well. And it's, it's not always easy to, to pull this apart for companies and individuals. Toby? Yeah, I can give you a, a generational example. I think Yvonne Chouinard is someone I've written about, the founder of Patagonia. He was old school in a sense, but he's at the top of the list for a lot of the uh, the millennials and the Gen Z who are expi- aspiring to careers in sustainability. Uh, but uh, more recently, I'm seeing reports now that in the next 10 years, fast fashion will be eclipsed by secondhand clothing, the real, real type companies. Hmm. And I see that even in China, where I travel each quarter. There is a, a knowledge and expectation and awareness amongst younger people that things are not as glossy as they were for their parents' generation, and they want to do something about it. And they realize that they do have power, both through social media, but also in their buying dollars. So I do believe that in the next 10 years, we will see fast fashion be eclipsed by these, uh, these secondhand clothing stores. Again, right. this is a generation that wants access, not ownership. Right. They don't want the burden of cars and, and things that their parents had. So you touched on it, and I'll bring this up now, Toby, is the global side of this. Mm -hmm. We've talked about it primarily within the scope of the United States. Mm -hmm. How significant is the CSR push on a global perspective? It's huge, and it's growing. Um, I am somewhat counterintuitive with China. I'd made the decision to start going there three years ago when I launched my firm on a quarterly basis because the Chinese, it's a gross generalization, but I would say that the Chinese both, it's expected that the children, that they do well, but also that they reflect well, reflect well on their families, their communities, and on their nation. So as this new wealth is being created, there's an incredible amount of, of expectation that something be done with it that more than just taking a company public. So when I'm there, I'm finding with the young, uh, new wealth and those who are inheriting it, that they do have more of awareness. And you'll remember also a decade ago, we had the Szechuan earthquake in China. That was really quite a, um, an inflection point where people expected more of their government and of their businesses. And so there's more and more of that kind of connectedness within China, but also the Gen Zs and the millennials in China are connected through social media to the larger world, and they are taking action. So it's quite a global um, group. How do you think then, Daniel, that that this push with CSR is also changing the mindset that that the C-suite has to have, the leaders of the companies, and maybe even farther down the chain, the managing, managing level as well? How is it changing how they how, how they approach how their, their, their mindset their is their of job. running their day to day operations? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, a large portion is very cognizant of this now. Um, they're they're starting to discover that it's not that easy to do. You know, I mean, in, in the past, it was uh, it it was there was a separate department that did CSR stuff, right? Yeah. And they just kind of went on their way. And they were there was like a group of activist people in the organization. They would do their thing. They would decide what charities <laughs> to give to and right. start some foundations. Um, and what you know has become very clear as more companies get into this space is that it's it, that's not what consumers and employees are looking for. They want things integrated into the company, um, and they want to they want to see the company 
having a real impact on people. And yeah. it's, it's um, so it's there. There are a lot of developments now that are really exposing some of these challenges. Um, you know, one of them is integrating them into the into the operations, and that means yeah. organizationally, it means they, the that that CEO or that uh, the C-suite team needs to put more people around the company. But I would imagine, Toby, that you mentioned the difference between public and private companies a little bit ago, that because of the fact that a lot of this is driven by the employee, there there probably isn't a whole lot of difference between what you may see at a publicly traded company and and a private company because the employees are the ones that, that want to have the drive on this. That's absolutely correct. And I would tell you that that's, in my view, that's part of the reason. Well, this all... The most important message for me out of all this is leadership. You know great leadership, whether it's at Wharton or at a corporation, and that's the leader that you want to follow. So the great leaders are now literally stepping into the battle with these brands. You look at Nike and the Colin Kaepernick uh, social justice. You look at Levi's and gun violence. You look at Starbucks and straws as a portal plastic. The list goes on and on. You've seen the reinvention of VW following the emission scandals this past week. I've written about it in my book, but they've just launched their new electronic or electric vehicle, the businesses are pivoting real time, and those that don't are going to fail, I believe. Dan? The, he, Toby just mentioned uh, that Colin, Colin Kaepernick uh, ad from a little while back, and that hits a, a, real, a real chord with me uh, because my research has really taken a, a bit of a swerve towards these companies that uh, take political stands. And I've spoken on, uh, on Brand Matters show here on, uh, on this station uh, and many other places about it. Um, what a lot of social responsibility people are finding now is that you take any issue – if you dig deep enough, if you scratch, you know, you scratch yeah. at the surface, no big deal, right? I mean, everybody is going to be in favor of it. Um, who doesn't want to, you know, improve public safety, right? In San Francisco, there's a, there's, there are big efforts there and other cities around it, the same thing. Um, you keep digging and you keep digging and eventually you find that maybe on one side of, the, of that issue, they want public safety, but they think that you have to have more gun control. Right. And then on the other side, you know, more, more gun rights. Um, so almost any issue, when you dig deep enough on these things, you hit this nerve, this, uh, this political nerve. Um, and it's making it, this is one of the big, big challenges for social responsibility managers now. But do you think that, that when you talk about the last 20 years or so with these changes going on, was there something that, that has occurred societally in the last 20 years that is really because you do have more people that want to find out more these days? Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it's a generational thing, but I, I, I wonder if there's something societally that, that has just has just fundamentally changed, Daniel, in the last 20 years. If I look at it purely from a marketing professor standpoint, um, one answer to that, one contributor, is that there's just a lot more parity now than there has, ever has been before. And so people need to look deeper at the company to, to make these choices. Themselves, yeah. So that, that's yeah. one, I think that's one pressure that's, that's going on. Um, and, you know, then that has kind of like started to snowball. And we're seeing that, you know, as people looked at one company, now they're looking at other companies. And now it's become, a, it, people have a much different perspective on what the purpose of business is in the first place. And maybe 20 years ago, people, you know, businesses, they just go, they try to make as much money as possible. And then I don't really know what happens. Leave that to the economists, right? Uh, And now more recently, 
Uh, I think people, as they've been looking more companies, they're asking themselves, well, what's, I mean, why is this company even in business? Like, why not just have somebody else in business? Um, and so, com- you know, people are, are looking at that. Those people are working in the companies they're asking and, uh, you know, themselves the same question. And yeah. we're just gathering. We've kind of like reached a critical mass uh, where we have this uh, real pressure on companies uh, to grapple with some of these issues. Toby? Yeah, I would chime in. I would just say that um, I think in when we get historic perspective intent, we'll be able to say that these past 10 or 20 years, we've really witnessed the great disruption. Uh, every industry is being turned upside down in different ways, whether it's philanthropy, auto manufacturing, even education. So I think that that's happening. Uh, I think that, that the root of that is technology and that technology can be our friend, but for many people it's been a, a bit of a challenge. So the technology has allowed us to be the most connected time in history, and that's going to continue this disruption. But on a more upbeat note, I will say it's also creating the most creative time in history. So you have all these startups that are coming online. You're seeing these young people going out with new ideas about what business should be. So I actually think we're going to find our way through it because we are living in the most creative and connected time in history. But for certain, it's also going to speed up. I would think that that there are also, uh, Toby, some when you look at a, a company and, and the elements of a company, that there are also the potential of some core changes within different sectors of a company because of this as well. Absolutely. I'll give you a great example. Um, I was at Davos this year, and there was when I was first introduced to the LOOP, L-O-O-P program that was produced by TerraCycle out of New Jersey over the past three years. They have been quietly working with all the big labels for consumer products, P&G, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Gillette, and so forth. And together, they have quietly and now started to pilot a recycling program that upcycles basically all of the the packaging so that they've taken an Airbnb model where they realize, oh, my gosh, the the customer doesn't want the packaging. They want what's inside of it. So now they're investing in better quality materials for the Haagen-Dazs ice cream and the Coca-Cola soda, and they will take on full reclaiming and reusing those those, uh, packaging. So it's it's a great story about aspiration and old-line companies getting the message and moving forward. So there's a lot of great innovation that's happening across the spectrum. Toby, thanks for your time today. All the best. Thank you. Thank you. Dan, great to meet you. Thanks for coming over. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Toby Ustick, uh, author of The Caring Economy, founder of Philanthropic Impact Partners. Uh, Daniel Korshin, who's uh, an associate professor of marketing at Drexel University and author of the book, We Are Market Basket. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 